for those that are still with us, we'd encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Galatians chapter five. We're gonna continue our look at the fruits of the spirit this morning. Uh, but the second passage we're gonna look at is Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses one to 10. At least in my Bible, all you gotta do is, is turn one page over uh, to access that second uh, section of scripture that we're gonna be looking at this morning. So again, Ephesians five, uh, we're gonna read verses 22 and 23 from Ephesians five, and then, uh, or I'm sorry, Galatians five, and then we're gonna skip over to Ephesians chapter two and read verses one to 10. This is God's word. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And now Ephesians chapter two, verses one to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that you would open our hearts, that we can hear you speak this morning, that you would Teach us to follow you. And so, Father, visit us with the illumination and the power of your spirit as we encounter you in your word this morning. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian novelist and philosopher who was thrown in the gulag for criticizing Stalin and the Soviet communist system in which he was under. Towards the end of his life, he managed to get out of the, the gulag. He escaped to the United States. And around 1970, I believe, 
Uh, He won the Nobel Prize for Literature. His story is a remarkable one, but he talks about how the turning point in his life really came uh, during World War II when he was uh, serving in the, the Red Army, in the Soviet Army. And as he was serving during World War II, he witnessed all sorts of atrocities. Uh, he witnessed the, the Nazi atrocities on the Soviets, and then he witnessed the Soviet war crimes against the Germans. He witnessed terrible things like gang rapes and innocent and vulnerable citizens being robbed of their meager resources. And so for him, as he saw all these things, he came to the conclusion that evil is everywhere. That evil is on the side of the Germans, that evil is on his own side, the side of the Soviets. And so his only conclusion was that he had to speak up about it. Even if it was risky, uh, even if it was costly, even if it meant he would be thrown in the gulag. You and I, we've, we've all witnessed evil in our world. All we have to do is turn on the television. We don't have to watch very long before we can see instances of evil that exist in our world. And it's really easy for us as we witness these things to objectify evil, to to notice it outside of us, but it is harder for us to see how that evil exists in our own hearts. Solzhenitsyn wrote this. He said, the dividing line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every single human being. Yes, certainly there is evil that is out there, but there is also evil inside of each and every one of us. The scriptures talk a lot about about this. From the very beginning, the scriptures are open and honest about the existence of both good and evil. And of course, we observe that good and evil in our world, but we see that conflict in ourselves as well. As you get to the New Testament, it's, it speaks about that conflict between good and evil. It articulates that conflict in the hearts of believers in Jesus Christ as well. Except when the New Testament talks about it, it talks about the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The fleshly part of us wants to nurture and entertain the evil that is inside of each one of us. But the spirit of God that is present in the hearts of every believer, that spirit of God longs to reflect the goodness of God, to live in light of it. And so as we come to our fruits of the spirit discussion this morning, we come to the fruit of the spirit that is called goodness. Uh, The Greek word that that Paul uses for goodness in his list of the fruits of the Spirit is agathosume. And it speaks to this. It's defined as an active kindness and love that pursues all things that are true and beautiful. Let me say that again. When Paul speaks of goodness, it means an active kindness and love that pursues all things that are true and beautiful. 
Now, like every one of these fruits of the spirit, as we think about them, we always need to start with God. This God must always be our starting point. And Psalm 136 reminds us of this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. One of the most consistent things that we see throughout all the scriptures is the God whom we worship, the God who uh, exists, the God whom we praise is a God who is good. There's a, a simple liturgy that churches have been using for years and years and all sorts of different type of churches uh, that emphasizes the goodness of God. And it's a, a very simple liturgy that's a call and response. And the, the worship leader or the speaker or the pastor will say, God is good. And the congregation will respond all the time. And then the pastor will say, and all the time, what? God is good. Uh, some people attribute that, that liturgy to ancient African Christians who used to do that in the context of worship. So take that simple liturgy and combine it with the most simple of children's songs that we sing, God is so good, he is good to me. Both of these are, are simple and creative ways to remind our hearts that God is good. His character is the very perfection of goodness. And so everything that God does is good and he is the source of all things that are good. Everything that is good, everything that is true, everything that is beautiful leads us ultimately back to a God who is good. Many of you know, I teach it at two local universities and I teach in the religious studies department. And in the classes that I like to teach on religion, I encourage my students to wrestle with the existence of evil that is apparent for all of them to see. They're college students, so they've lived long enough. They've been confronted with the reality and the existence of evil. And so I encourage them to wrestle with the questions that surround the existence of evil and the existence of God, to question how God can be good and yet at the same time, evil exists in our world. And I think it's a, it's a good question for them to wrestle with. It's a good question for us all to consider and wrestle with as we think about the nature of faith. For many of the students, they come to the conclusion that the existence of evil seems to them to disprove either the existence of God or the fact that God can be good. So they come to the conclusion that God must not exist, must not exist. And so this existence of evil becomes the problem that, that holds them back from faith. But the next question is, if one does indeed reject the existence of God, then how can we explain the existence of good in our world? How can history be so full of stories related to heroism and self-sacrifice and genuine care for one another if there is no such thing as goodness? And so for them, the existence of the good then becomes another problem. 
as they think about the nature of faith. But of course, we know it isn't really a problem. At the end of the day, it is a proof. It is a proof of the existence of a God who is fundamentally good. What that means is all of the little goodnesses that we observe day in and day out come from the true source of goodness. They come from God. And so God is good and the full force of his power is always good. It is always aimed at the direction of the good. In fact, as you come to the New Testament, you come to the book of Romans, you find this incredible promise that God has for his people. You find it uh, in Romans 8 verses 28, and it's related to this power and the goodness of God. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, as we think about that verse, we have to remember that this is God's definition of what the good is, not necessarily our definition of what the good is. And we sometimes get really confused about that. But isn't it beautiful to know that every minute detail of your life, every minute detail is overseen by a sovereign and powerful God who is working all things all things for your good. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that profound to consider? Really, it's just another way of articulating what is beautifully written in Psalm 23, probably the the best known Psalm that is out there, that says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me in all the days of my life. Of course, the greatest picture of the goodness of God in action is the story of redemption. That story tells us that humanity, which includes you and I, that humanity has fundamentally chosen to reject the goodness of God and instead walk along the path of evil. It started at the very beginning but we perpetuate that each day. We rebel against the goodness of God. We mistake the goodness of God and and deceptively believe that that goodness stifles us, that somehow it stifles our individual freedom. And we decide in our rebellion that we wanna be our own gods, live according to our own definition of what is the good. And so the net effect of all that is that our sin leaves us spiritually dead within our rebellion. And yet in that spiritual deadness, in that sin-sick state that we find ourselves in, the story of redemption tells us that the goodness of God seeks us out. It finds us where we are in our messiness, in our brokenness, and it overwhelms our own personal evil with forgiveness and the goodness of God. In that story of redemption, we become recipients of the kindness and the goodness and the love of God that is made possible for us in Jesus. And this thing that we call faith, this instrument of faith, it receives that 
goodness from God. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. It holds up to us the goodness of God and it invites us to receive its gift of grace by faith. And so the gospel talks a lot about the goodness of God, but it also has a lot to say about our goodness. And here's what the gospel has to say about our goodness. It says, on the one hand, our goodness is fruitless. It's fruitless. But on the other hand, our goodness can be made fruitful. Let's first look at how our goodness is fruitless. And and to, to bring this point out, we go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter two in verses eight and nine, where it says this. It says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Well, what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that the grace that we receive from Jesus Christ is not a result of our works or another way we could put it, it isn't the result of our own goodness. In fact, it tells us that no one can boast about their own goodness. Instead, Paul is drawing us out to really boast about our weakness instead of our goodness. And when we boast about our weakness, that means that the goodness of God shines much more brightly in our lives and in our circumstances. The way to think about this is this. We, we live in a world that is a meritocracy, And we all know it, it's the air we breathe in. And in a meritocracy, you earn what it is that you get. If you work hard in school, then you earn or you get a good grade. If you work hard and practice hard in your sport, you win the championship. If you invest and work hard in your career, in your profession, then you will get that promotion. In fact, we get very upset because we understand the way a meritocracy works. We get very upset when we don't get the grade, when we don't win the championship or when we get passed by on the promotion because we believe that we deserve it. We believe that we have earned it. Now, when it comes to this meritocracy, a lot of religions that are out there fall right in line. They are merit-based religions. And what that means is, as long as your good deeds somehow outweigh your bad deeds, as long as you put out um, a good essence or a good karma or a good chi, or you go to church on Sunday faithfully, then you deserve the blessing of God. You deserve the eternal reward of heaven. And so many religions teach this. But Christianity, if you look deeply, Christianity says something very different. Christianity tells us that all of us have a a very skewed picture. We've believed a lie when it comes to the holiness of God and how it relates to our individual merit. The The Christian story tells us that we are far more polluted by sin than we originally realize. In fact, it tells us that even our best deeds 
Even the things in our life that we can look at and point to and say, that thing is really good. Even our best deeds carry the stain of sin within them. The Christian story, the gospel story opens our eyes up to the sobering fact that we could never earn our way back to God. We could never store up enough merit. We could never store up enough goodness to somehow squeeze our way into the admission of heaven. And so the Christian story tells us that our goodness is fruitless. It is bankrupt. We have nothing to stand with before a holy God. We have nothing in and of ourselves to boast in. And that is why we need the goodness of God to come to invade our lives and to make us whole again. The the old song says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And so the gospel shows us that our goodness is fruitless. But what it also shows us is that when God enters into a life, when the spirit shows up and is present in someone's life, then our goodness is fruitful. Let's keep reading in Ephesians chapter two and we come to verse 10 and it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's Paul saying? He's saying that you and I, we were created for goodness. You, you were redeemed by the workmanship of God. And now your aim in life should be to reflect the goodness of God. The scriptures talk about this all over the place. Romans 12, verse nine, cling to what is good. Second Corinthians nine, chapter eight, abound in every good work. Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. Titus 2, verse 14, be zealous for good works. Romans 12, verse 21, overcome evil with good. And this is just a small cross section of all the scriptural commands to pursue goodness. And all these voices come together to remind us of this. The goodness of God should be evident in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, in our choices, and in our behavior. As you think about the goodness of God made manifest in your life, I want you to think for a moment about all of the vocations that are in your life. I use that word vocation and not jobs uh, intentionally because the word vocation means something fuller than just a job. A vocation is, is a context that is given to you by God where you have an opportunity to reflect the goodness of God to the world that is around you. So think for a moment about what it means for you to reflect the goodness of God in your career. 
Maybe you are a doctor, maybe a teacher, a homemaker, a trade worker. Maybe you're a waitress. Maybe you are a public servant. The question comes to this. How should the goodness of God make you different than those who are around you? After all, we spend about half or more of our waking hours at work. And so what does it mean to manifest the goodness of God in our careers? Uh, Jerry Bridges says this, he writes this. He said, we should think of our vocation, therefore, not as a necessary evil to pay the bills, not even as an opportunity to become rich, but we should view our vocation as the primary path of our Christian walk, wherein God has planned good deeds for us to do. But work isn't really our only vocation. We have other vocations. We have relationship vocations. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to reflect the goodness of God as a father, as a brother, as a mother, maybe as a daughter? What does it mean to reflect the goodness of God as a voting citizen or a member of a sports team or maybe being a board member or a neighbor or even the member of a church community. You see, all these things aren't just jobs. They are opportunities. They are callings that God has placed upon your life. They're the context in which you live out your days. And in all of these cases, in all of them, we are called as God's people to be people of integrity to lift up what is beautiful, what is good, and what is true. We're called to demonstrate to those around us an alternative way of living, to demonstrate what it means to live according to the kingdom of God rather than according to the kingdom of this world. We're called to not only exemplify the goodness of God, but we're called to speak against, to even work against the evil systems that exist in the world around us. And we're called to do all those things even when it is costly, even when it is risky. Friends, our good God has gifted you his grace. He has given you unique talents and skills and giftedness. He has placed you in all sorts of different contexts where he caused you to use those gifts for his glory, to show to the watching world that our God is good. Listen to this from 1 Peter. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gift. And so friends, as you go about your day, as you go about your week, even in the midst of a pandemic, be watchful, be eager, be zealous for the good. Understanding always that you are not saved by your good works but you are saved in order to do those good works. Amen, amen. Let's pray.